morning. As they say in Japan, Ohio gozaimasu. You guys know Ohio? You can just say Ohio. It's really a great honor to be here, actually a great honor to be back here. Uh, we just uh, have a long relationship with West Hills, and it's always good to come back and get reacquainted. Some of our high old friends over here, and uh, some in the back, and some of you are new, don't know us, maybe you won't want to come back when we come next time, <laughs> but we'll give you that chance. But often, uh, uh, we're kind of weirdos, we really are. Uh, we're missionaries, and uh, we're older missionaries, or I guess what you should call us, we're seasoned missionaries. <laughs> Uh, but we're often asked two questions. Uh, why did you become a missionary? And then also, why Japan? And uh, each answer is probably unique to every missionary, uh, but it points out how God selects and sends each of us into ministry. And I'll answer the first question, and Elaine will answer the second question this morning for you. Uh, I was an idol worshiper. I worshiped the God of ice hockey. When I was in high school, I lived and breathed uh, ice hockey. Every moment I could practice, I practiced, and I, I ate and I slept ice hockey. Well, congratulations on the Blues winning the standing cup. <laughs> yeah, good job. Uh, really, and I, I lived for ice hockey. It was the only thing that really mattered to my life. It was the center of my life. And then when I went off, I became a Christian right after high school, and went off to college, and when I was in college, I wanted to be on the ice hockey team, and there was an organizational meeting uh, for all the people who wanted to play on the team. And that night, I had a long discussion with my college roommate, Henry, and I led him to Christ. And I completely missed the meeting for the ice hockey team. And the clear lesson that I learned from God is that I can play games, or I can work with people's souls and see people's lives transformed. And from then on, I didn't play hockey for like 40 years. And then one day God gave me a, like a birthday present. I got the whole ice skating rink to myself. <laughs> 40 years later, it was really kind of cool, a gift from God. And uh, so Elaine Sandozo. Have you ever been in a situation where you really knew you didn't understand when we were first married, we went to the Philippines as short-termers and had three amazing months there. On our way back to the States, we had three days in Tokyo. And I knew that nothing was familiar. I could not understand anything. I could not read anything. I'm a small-town Iowa girl in this super-huge mega-city. The trains were so crowded that sometimes they push people in so that the doors can snap shut. Nothing felt familiar to me at all. And yet I had this very deep sense that I was home. Nearly 34 years later, I still deal with crowded trains in a super mega city I do understand Japanese, and we can read the signs, but I still feel that that's where God wants me. It's home. And I know that wherever God wants you to be, that is the very best place to be, whether it's familiar to start with or not. Yeah. Thank you, Elaine Sam. Isn't she great? 
She's my secret weapon. <laughs> Over 33 years of working in Japan with my, my family, with my marriage, uh, I've screwed up a lot, made a lot of mistakes. You know what they call you know, do-overs? I wish I had a lot of do-overs. For our marriage, personally, and my own ministry, uh, I wish I could do a lot of do-overs. But the biggest lesson that I've learned about ministry is that being a missionary is all about Jesus and it's not about me. Uh, it, it took me a long time to learn that the hard way. Uh, because we have the master's plan. The master plan is that God has a plan to be glorified and worshiped uh, by people everywhere. And God has a plan for the reign and the rule of God, the kingdom of God to come to every place on this planet. And God has a plan for the good news to transform individuals, transform families, transform societies, cities, and even entire nations. That is the master plan. And we, all of us, each of you and me, are all part of this bigger plan. Ministry does not end at the door there when you leave today. Ministry extends through the streets of this city and every city. It enters neighborhoods and homes and it touches places uh, near and far and even touches people in Tokyo, Japan. I'm so grateful for your church and your encouragement for us because many of what you did had touched those people that were affected by the terrible tsunami several years ago, uh, the triple disaster. And they were touched because of what you were doing and what we were doing as partners. Uh, and a little bit more about that later. And I'm really excited about this series that you've been doing in, in the book of Mark. Today we look at Mark 6, uh, uh, verse 6 to 13. And uh, th this passage is very pivotal in the book of, of Mark. It's kind of the end of the first of three acts. That, uh, if it was a, Mark was a play, it would be the end of the first act. And Jesus just completed his tour of Galilee, and now he turns to other regions, and then later he'll go turn to Jerusalem. This is a very significant event in the, in the life of the disciples. He gives them their training wheels, and he sends them out into ministry for the first time. And they were called to extend the ministry of Jesus. And we'll see this morning that the disciples were sent through the region of Galilee that Jesus had just toured, and they were to repeat his ministries of word and of deed, preaching the good news of kingdom and meeting needs of people. And just as Jesus selected his 12 disciples in the first century to extend his ministry, today in the 21st century, he selects and he sends all of his disciples to extend the ministry by continuing to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And so this message this morning, I want to review with you three ways that we can honor by being Christ's representatives to other people. And the challenges of Mark's day in the first century are very similar to the challenges that we have in the 21st century right now. And the first, thing, the first lesson is go in the authority of Jesus. If you look at verse, the end of verse 6 and verse 7, uh, uh, it, it says, And he, Jesus, went about among the village teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. First he said go. He sent them. 
Notice what Jesus did at the beginning of Mark. Jesus went. In Mark chapter 1, 14, Jesus came into the Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus was doing. And then in verse 39 of the same chapter, he went about all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Notice two things that Jesus uh, calls his disciples to do. And we see this in chapter three of Mark, Uh, just real briefly. And he appointed 12 who also he called apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority cast out demons. And so the, the lessons for us is that we need to go in his calling. Jesus says, follow me. Remember what he said? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will transform you. I will change you. Uh, and that's such a exciting thing. When we follow Jesus, he changes us. And I always ask, God, why would you choose me? I'm stubborn. I'm clueless often. Uh, even in Japan, even in America, I'm clueless. I'm prideful. I'm moody. And I'm really critical at times. Why would God choose someone like me to represent him? But God chose his disciples and he chose us as he knows the potential in his transforming power for you. He knows he can make you into what he needs you to be, which is, isn't that encouraging? It's not about our screw-ups. It's about his great grace and his transforming power. Also, go with his sending. Jesus sent them out. He sends us. The 12 disciples should have known this was coming. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But I can imagine their reactions when Jesus said, okay, guys, let me get the other here, you know. Uh, um, now, I just finished in you know, Galilee, you know. I want you to all go back two by two and go back and do what I just did. Can you imagine some of the reactions? I'd like to see the, the YouTube video of that. It'd be really kind of cool. You know, one, a couple guys like, oh, I didn't know you we had to do that. Uh, and then one guy said, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. And uh, other guys said, cool, I really wanted to do some of that. And I finally get the minister and some are just plain scared. I can imagine how these early disciples were. But then he says, go in his authority. He gave them his authority. Our, our ministry is rooted in this authority so we can extend his kingdom. Jesus gives us his authority as his representatives. And some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, what can I do? What can I tell, how can I tell people about Jesus? I'm not that influential. I'm not that great because it's not about your authority. It's not about your authority at all. It's about Jesus' authority. Today, there's a widespread opinion that who has the right to share their faith and interfere in the lives of other people, private lives of other people? There is that opinion. You might have heard people like that, huh? I would encourage you to just go on and share your life and share yourself because the authority and the right to do this is not from the federal government or some kind of concept of freedom, but it's from the right and authority comes from Jesus himself to do what we do. And in my case, it comes from the Japanese government. (laughs) Sometimes we don't want to go and be sent by Jesus, whether we have personal confidence or not. Uh, We lack boldness and we fight fear. We doubt this authority and we forget it and we don't utilize it. And being really honest, we use our own authority often, don't we? 
Not, it's not our own authority. Notice the ministry of casting out demons or unclean spirits and healing here. In Japan, Elena and I have faced several situations where we are literally face-to-face with demonic evil. Uh, not, uh, very unlike here in America. And I, I don't have experience with casting out demons, but I'll tell you, I would not want to face demonic situation with only my authority. Uh, that is not going to get it. It's not going to cut it. So when we go with this authority, what should we be doing? Well, uh, uh, join Jesus in ministry. Join in ministry with Jesus. To continue to represent Jesus, we are rooted in ministry with him. Joining Jesus in ministry has many practical lessons. And in this passage, I want to just share briefly three of them. Uh, to address our problems of loneliness, our problems of inadequacy, and our problems of fear. Uh, Do ministry as a team. Do ministry as a team. We don't do ministry alone. Look in verse 7. He called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Jesus paired the disciples up. I could just see the disciples. Man, I want to go with Peter because I don't have to talk much here. You know, I could just see him all jockeying for position, you know. Uh, Why did he do that? Well, it's really simple. I've been working with some very high caliber leaders for the last 25 years, Japanese as well as missionary leaders. And I'll tell you, they've been a great source of encouragement and a great uh, source of challenge to me as a person, helped me grow as a leader and as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. First of all, we need teamwork for encouragement, for mutual learning and growth. Also, we need teamwork because of the resistance, the rejection and the persecution, or even worse, as you read in the next section of Mark, the, the martyrdom of John the baptizer, the loss of your life for faith. And right now I have friends that are in China who interact with who have experienced a lot of government oppression and persecution. Uh, I was talking last night with some friend and saying that, uh, you know, it's really kind of a God thing that Elena and I haven't not quit over these last 30 plus years. And we were talking about it the other day, said, well, maybe each of us had thought about quitting, but we never actually were on the same schedule of when we wanted to quit. So one would wanted to quit, and the other, no, I'm really encouraged right now, let's stay. And the other one went, oh, I want to quit. No, I want to stay. And uh, so it's actually, I think that's a God thing. Because there's always a temptation, even when you're in a team, to have hard times. And only Jesus himself can do ministry on his own. We all have weaknesses, we all have faults, we all have gifts, and we all have skills, and we need each other. We need to work together. And that's why the use of teams on the mission field is really the most popular thing to do and the most fruitful thing to do. So if you're not in ministry right now, I encourage you to join a team and see how it would be. Uh, One crazy thing I did when we were early married, I remember this, Elaine, uh, we volunteered to work in the two-year-old nursery for three months. Can you see me crawling around the floor with a bunch of two-year-olds? Uh, but it was a good experience. I learned that I didn't have gift for that. <laughs> but I learned what it, was, uh, what it was all about. So what ministry do you have? I encourage you, don't minister alone. Be on a team. Find a team. 
Do it with Jesus and do it with others. The other point was to prepare to depend on God. Don't over-prepare. Look at verses 8 and 9. He charged his disciples to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and put on two tunics. Who in your family packs too much? And going on a trip, I'm the worst packer in our house. The other day we went to, to uh, Grace Week and uh, Elaine packed a small carry-on bag. I packed a big suitcase. <laughs> That's typical in our house. But like these six items that are listed here in these verses, like the tunics and sandals, they're first century items. And they were not to bring food or clothing or even protection of themselves. And today Jesus might say, uh, don't bring any cash, don't bring any credit cards, no food, no sleeping bag, just bring a toothbrush and a coat. Uh, Here he's pushing his disciples to depend on God's care and live off the hospitality of people uh, rather than their own resources. Now later in the book of Mark, he gives completely opposite instructions about what to bring. He actually tells them to bring money. But in this case, he wants them to learn how to depend on God. A lack of faith and dependence on self is a major problem in Japan. Uh, Japanese culture means you don't fail because if you fail, you lose face and you have shame. And that you don't ever look bad or make other people look bad. And so some Japanese leaders don't even try for the fear of failure and the fear of shame. And we are told uh, not to worry about preparation because God will prepare us. I think there has never been a sermon, never been a lesson, never been a, a ministry event or evangelistic opportunity that I ever felt I could do by myself. Uh, that I don't forget that you can never completely be prepared for ministry. If you're waiting to be 100% ready, it'll never happen. You just got to step out in faith and allow God to use you. If you have a feeling in ministry, some of you just came off serve, serve week and you said, I can't do this. And I would say, cheer up. That's what you need to hear. Cheer up because you don't need anything. You just need Jesus with you to do ministry. Because spiritual ministry does not depend on human capability at all. I wish it didn't take me 30 years to learn that. I just completed probably the hardest thing I've ever done in ministry. In May, we had, you might have heard of our grace weeks uh, that we do for uh, spiritual renewal of leaders. And we've had our first Japanese grace week. So we had to prepare presenters, Japanese mentors, and of course the curriculum, and of course recruit people to come. And it was probably the most challenging and stretching thing I ever did in my entire career. Had one of my leadership team members ask me, I said, John, why was it so hard? And I gave him five reasons why it was so hard. I was out of my depth. I had, I had to do things I had never done before. And I was really challenged by it. But thank God it, it, it accomplished. So I've left that for a Japanese to do from now on, which was really a great accomplishment. But I keep telling Elaine, said, I can't do this. I have to trust God to do this. 
and God will have to bless it. And maybe you're in a situation like that as well. In your church, there'll be a lot of challenges and you wonder if you can do it. Well, you can't. You need to depend on God. This is his business. I had lunch with a new missionary the other day and uh, he said, oh, I want to talk to an older missionary, a seasoned missionary. And he asked me, what are the biggest lessons that I've learned in my career? And I wish I recorded it because it was really brilliant, I think, what I said. (laughs) But I didn't record it at the time, but I made some notes later. I said, number one, don't take yourself too seriously. God can use and does use anybody. Uh, Secondly, develop dependence on God. There's lots in ministry you cannot prepare for. And third, I said, it's not about me. I am expendable. It's all about God. And the guy, he said, wow, that's cool stuff, you know. Uh, So your church can give you a team. Your church can give you some training. And I would ask them, if you want to get in the ministry, ask for training. If you don't know how to share your faith, ask someone to teach you. If you don't know how to disciple or help new Christians grow, ask for help. There are people here who can help you with that. And if you really want to shock some of the pastors and the pastoral staff, just say, hey, I want to get to work right now. And they'll faint right in front of you. So, but I really encourage you to do that because it's so, so much fun being a Christian and being involved in ministry. And the third practical lesson was expect any response. In verse uh, 10 and 11, he said to them, the disciples, when you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. In the first century, uh, they would travel around depending on local people to house them. Of course, it's quite different today. Uh, As in the first century, they might not invite us to stay in their house, but we get responses of welcome, and we get people refuse to listen to us, and we may may not use the symbol of rejection of shaking the dust off their sandals. I I don't think I even own any sandals, anyone wearing sandals today. But you will get a response, and the important thing is don't fret over their responses. Don't Don't we get a whole range of responses from people, don't we? Uh, We get apathy, we get elation, we get rejection, we get acceptance, we get curiosity, we get skepticism. We get a whole range of responses. You will get a response. And some would say that ministry uh, in Japan is really hard. But I I found that often if people think it's really hard, uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It really does. They, if they think it's hard, they won't even try. And if they think they won't even try, they won't even get any results. Uh, and, and when they do try, they won't expect any results at all. It's all about faith and expectation. But actually, talking with many people who are involved in evangelism in Japan right now, it's a really exciting place to be right now. Wherever the gospel is shared you know, with Japanese, they see people trust Christ as their Savior. And I keep telling this to people, oh, we know nobody coming to Christ in our church. I said, well, I just talked to so-and-so. You just witness a bunch of people and they came to Christ. Are you witnessing in your church? And he said, well, I don't know. It's too hard here. That kind of thing. That's kind of the environment that we deal with. Please pray for the, 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 the spirit of unbelief among the believers in Japan. 
But one good example is Pastor Yoshiahari. He's one of my ministry partners. I'm so proud of this uh, younger pastor. Uh, he took two seminary interns to Aomori Prefecture, which is way up north on Honshu, almost to the northern island. Uh, and he went to uh, visit towns and villages that don't have any church. Right now, they're recorded as not having any church at all in them. Uh, but he took two interns up there last summer, and they visited 1,600 homes, went door to door. And, that, and even he would admit that is not the, probably the best methodology to do evangelism, go door to door. But they met seven key contact persons, and three people trusted Christ as their Savior. And this is in an unchurched rural area, often with the re reputation of being very resistant. And so he is very excited. He's taking another tour next month. So pray for uh, Hari Sensei and his uh, team as they go up to work in another area. You and I do not need to fear rejection. We are responsible to faithfully communicate with compassion, but we're not responsible for responses. That's the Holy Spirit and God's job. In my college days, I learned a great principle from Campus Crusade. Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. And I, I'm glad I learned that because it kept me from a lot of frustration. So Jesus solves a lot of problems in ministry, the problems of loneliness, we do it with others, the problems of inadequacy, I'm inadequate, great. Uh, we need more God to help us. And the problem of fear. So go on the authority of Jesus, join in the ministry with Jesus, and expect responsible. Also, number three, engage people for Jesus. As ambassadors for Jesus, they were to extend and continue the ministry rooted in Jesus. Like Jesus in verse 6 and 7, now the disciples actually have a trial mission. In verse 12 and 13, there's a typo in your bulletin. It's verse 12 and 13. They went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Almost sounds like what Jesus did, doesn't it? It's exactly what Jesus did. And actually verse 12 and 13 kind of sounds like ministry everywhere we hear it's at. As I read uh, converged newsletters, I hear reports and, and prayer letters from my colleagues in Japan and other parts. As I hear people from other countries, these are the kind of reports I hear all the time. This is what happens when we do ministry. And if you just take a peek down at verse 30, which kind of closes this little section, uh, they're now called apostles or sent ones. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Just like West Hills, they were discipleship-driven and they were ministry-motivated. These, these are the disciples. This is our heritage. This is who we, we're descendants of these 12 guys who uh, some of them were pretty, knuckle, pretty much knuckleheads like we are. What did they do? They went out. They preached God's word for repentance. They, they as promised in verse 7, they drove out demons and in verse, uh, and, and also they healed sick people by anointing them with oil. We see that in the book of James. I don't have the gift of miraculous healing, but I prayed for some people and they were miraculously healed. 
And I think that's something all of us should pray that God would heal people and a great ministry. I know, I know, I think I pray for more people now than I ever did in my ministry life. Notice uh, the ministry of word and deed as it's in verse 30, it says, what is done and what is taught. And in 2011, we had that terrible triple disaster in Japan of the earthquake, the tsunami and the nuclear accident. It's still, uh, still dicey in some places, uh, but it was really, a, I felt like God had equipped us. I said, I said to Elaine, I said, I think God has prepared me for 25 years to be here right now to be able to deal with this. And I think some of you were involved in praying for that, sending money, even volunteering to come to Japan. Uh, we had, in the course of three years, I think 20 teams of like 250 people came from converged churches to help out. And many other organizations sent lots of people into that area, bringing relief supplies, helping people practically, and then sharing the word of God with them. And I think I really learned the power of praying for people. I really learned how to listen to people and with compassion, uh, hearing over and over the same story from the same person, how they watch their neighbor die before their eyes. Uh, you know, and I, what can you say to someone like that? You just listen and blessing people. But uh, because of all that effort that went into uh, not only foreigners and other people from other countries coming, but especially Japanese Christians from other parts of Japan going into that area to conduct ministry, the amount of evangelistic results was seven times what it normally is. We've seen an incredible change in that area in terms of the number of people who have trusted Christ as their Savior and been discipled. And of course, what excites me the most is the starting of new churches, uh, bases where more evangelism can happen. Uh, my concern today is there's a lot of focus on doing deed ministry, which is certainly important, uh, but there's a, a little lack of uh, emphasis on proclamation of God's word as well. Today we're faced with a lot of people denying that we need to share our faith at all saying that's not what we need to be doing. Certainly not what the disciples were told to do. And then sharing our faith sometimes seems so intolerant and so judgmental of other people. But you know, how we share our faith is a little bit relates to how we see ourselves in terms of grace. We don't go up to someone and say, you know, I used to be really messed up. I, I used to do drugs and I was a thief and that is true. And he said, I used to really be messed up, kind of like you are. But uh, now I have Jesus, so I'm not as messed up. So why don't you become like me? That's not the gospel at all. That's proud, self-righteous boasting. But we go to someone and say, you know, I was really desperate for God and God touched my heart in places that I didn't know. I didn't know what really love was until I met Jesus. And he, he continues to change me and show me what I need to to have from him. I'm dependent on him. I couldn't live without him. And I'd like you to know this same Jesus too, so you can know the joy of his love and know how he can change you and make you different. It's a totally different way to present our faith. And uh, so we need to really uh, share our faith. We need to be compassionate and caring to people who don't know Jesus because we know what it means when they don't. And also, we don't engage people because often we're self-centered. We're apathetic. I am. 
uncompassionate about people. Sometimes somebody comes into my life and I said, I don't really care what you're interested in. And it just really, it really disturbs me that I would have feelings like that. And I'm just a normal human being who's fallen like everyone else. And I have bad days and good days. I have days when I follow Jesus and I have days when I really need to repent bad. And those are days when I, God changed my heart. I am an uncompassionate, uncaring person. And I think Elaine will tell you that I've grown in compassion over the last two hours. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Especially when you see people are different. They're from a different culture or a different area, maybe a different city or a different region or a different nation. That is really, really important that we reach out to them and touch them with the love of Jesus. There are tremendous needs in Japan. Uh, you don't hear often about the physical suffering of the Japanese. They're starving and they, you know, they're poor and their economy stinks. But uh, they're extremely hardworking, moral, polite people, well-mannered, even make me look rude. Uh, but yet there's so much of an inner turmoil in this perfect culture called Japan that literally destroys people if they don't measure up. There are so many Japanese in, uh, who are fearful that they will not measure up to their friends or their expectations. There are several of them who have just completely fallen apart emotionally. Uh, depression right now is at its all-time high. Suicide rate in Japan is one of the highest in the world because people just cannot deal with the social problems of Japan. There's something really wrong with it. They really have no way to be free. They have no way to be free from their perfectionism, free from their fear of others and fear, fear of uh, living for others' approval all the time. Constantly worried about that. And what was a beautiful thing to see at Japanese Grace Week back in May when the first pastor got up and talked about how screwed up he was as a pastor and his wife uh, confirmed that report and then shared that she was screwed up too and he confirmed her report. And it, this whole uh, talking about uh, the transparency and the need for the gospel in our lives because we are so desperately needy of it. And it was infectious with the other speakers and all the participants there. And some, several of the Japanese, I thought it was more impactful than the English one. And some of the Japanese were saying, you know, I have never experienced the kind of freedom that I've had in this place because it's okay to be a screw up. It's okay to not measure up. It's okay to be defective. It's okay. And in Japan, that is not acceptable. Toyota will not accept that. Toyota and Sony will not accept any imperfections and neither does Japanese society. And that's why they need your prayers, that they will understand more what grace is and how to transform them. So the disciples extended the ministry to all people. They went out and did this ministry. And I would really ask you a question. Who are you engaging with? Maybe at your school, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe even online you're engaging with your friends. Or maybe your leisure activities where you go to a health club or some people you hang out with at work. Who are you engaging with? Who is God's assignment for you? And how are you engaging them for the gospel? Often we get fuzzy and confused about what are our priorities. I do all the time. But the master's plan is very clear as it lists in Mark 10, 
45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The purpose of his life, the purpose of Jesus' life was people, people, people. And in ministry, we have to do with other things, but it's not buildings, it's not organization, it's not budgets, it's not events. Those are important. But the most important thing is engaging and serving people. That's what it's all about. And just like the 12 disciples in the first century, in the 21st century, we can lose the priority of ministry to people. And so I'm always asking myself, who am I praying for? Who am I working for, with? Who am I meeting with? Who am I pouring my life into? These are key questions. And just as Jesus selected and sent his 12 disciples in the first century to go extend his ministry. Today in the 21st century, he selects and he sends all of his disciples, you and me, to extend his ministry by continuing to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And this involves each of us using his authority, going in ministry and engaging others. We must do ministry. That is the nature of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. But we have many reasons why we do not. I can give you lots of reasons why I don't do ministry like I should. We fail during, during, due to selfishness, apathy, a lack of compassion, fear. We don't feel qualified. We're not good enough. We feel we don't have the time. We don't have the priorities. Uh, and we don't set out priorities to do things. But I want to encourage you, all of you, because I know there might be some of you right now feel very guilty not doing ministry. Uh, we, all, we all are guilty. But remember that Jesus fulfilled his ministry, as was shared earlier, of healing, of casting out demons, of preaching and teaching and loving people. He never failed in ministry once. Uh, he was never clueless. Uh, he was, he'd never lacked compassion. He was fearless and bold, even when facing opposition. And it by dependence on his empowering, by our dependence on his equipping, we can do ministry and the Holy Spirit can work through us. Like the disciples here, Jesus wants us to depend on his provision for ministry. And this was before the promised Holy Spirit came and empowered these 12 who changed the world. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's representatives. We have his calling. We have his authority. We extend his work. We are in a long line of believers who have faithfully followed him as his disciples in his ministry. And this is what he represented. And we need to get involved somewhere. We need to take the next step. What is your next step? And people at this church are ready to train you to do that and ready to help you disciple others and grow. Uh, we all need to be in a long time obedience in the same direction uh, of doing this ministry of faithfulness to him. One of the greatest highlights I've ever had in ministry, and even now it brings tears to my eyes, was being involved in the Japan 2011 uh, triple disaster earthquake and nuclear accident. I've never been in a disaster area before. Some people might have thought I created them, but I've never been in one before. I didn't really know what to do. Many of the people we work with were not experts. And we really didn't know what we were doing. And I was quite shocked 
when I started realizing I'm working with trauma victims who had just lost their relatives and lost all their property. What in the world could I do to help them? However, the great lesson that we learned was just to be there for them, just to be there with them and help them as we could, to be next to them when they were going through this and saying that we'll be here tomorrow, we'll be here next week, uh, as long as it takes to you guys can get on, on, on your own. You just engage people. We would listen. We would pray with them. We would be there with them in their tragedy. We provide practical help. We provide food. We provide cleanup of their homes. We just encourage them. We just tell them that we're here for them. And it was really interesting. We began to hear stories from all over the disaster area how people were being transformed by the love of Christ through practical ministry and the sharing the gospel. And that's what blew my mind. I remember my pastor that I work with, he says, John, you know, these people are coming up to us and they're calling us Christosan. They're calling us Mr. and Mrs. Christ. One, uh, one little boy, grandmother asked him, where did you get these supplies? He said, Jesus gave it to me. I mean, it was really crazy. They did not just call them Christians. They didn't just call them believers of Christianity, but they called him Jesus himself. And people really thought we were Christ to them because that was where the compassion was coming from. That's where the care was coming from. And so Jesus sends us to extend his kingdom. He selects and sends all his disciples to extend his ministry by continuing to proclaim his good news to the ends of the earth, that we are his representatives, that we might be Christosan for people that you know right now or people you will know in the next months and years. That's my prayer, is that you and I will be faithful in carrying out the disciples' commission and that we would be Christ, represent Christ for others. And because of that, they will find Christ and his salvation and his freedom and his joy and peace. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that Jesus fulfilled his ministry. He took a big risk of building his life in the 12 people. He trained his disciples and we thank you that they did what he asked them to do. We are dependent on these disciples' obedience and many generations of them. And Father, we ask you to remind us of the authority that we have that you give us in ministry. Help us to join you in ministry. Move us to engage people, people that are near and far, people in St. Louis, people in Japan, and every, everywhere in between. May we be your representatives in word and deed. Equip us, empower us for the sake of your kingdom, for your glory, for your master plan to be fulfilled in our generation, we pray. Amen.